0: Our scripture reading today is from John thirteen one through 17 Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them.
1: Good morning again, New Eden family and friends. Thank you for joining us online. Uh, We know that this isn't ideal, uh, but we um, are thankful for this opportunity to gather virtually. Um, Ideally, we would be in embodied corporate worship together. We believe that that is uh, the ideal way to follow Jesus is connected with other followers of Jesus in an embodied sense as we're created with to use all of our senses, uh, but we're thankful for this opportunity. Um, I do thank you to the many of you who have checked on my wife and I during this time. Um, Thankfully, I think our kids have avoided uh, getting COVID. We try to be careful with that, so uh, we're praying that that still continues to be the case. Um, Tomorrow will be the end of our five-day isolation period, and then we'll continue to wear masks according to CDC guidelines for the next five days, um, and then in public settings as well, just while this Omicron variant is is working its way through our population and so we're praying for many of you who might have COVID as well Um, if you need anything we would love to know how we can care for you and and, and you guys as a body do that really well um so our kids have just kind of enjoyed an extended christmas break we went to check them out of school um and we're like hey you know the, the school policy they get another two weeks off and so they are enjoying basically an extended christmas break um my wife and i honestly have been uh Enjoying the freedom to take it easy and slow down a little bit. Uh, we've uh, just enjoyed some good reading or TV shows or movies or whatever. Now, for me, I'm not typically a big movie guy. Um, recently, I've been trying to give like what people talk about our classic movies or whatever a chance. And um, what I think I get annoyed at is I spend like two hours investing in this movie. And if it doesn't, um, live up to my expectations, I'm like, I feel like I just wasted like two hours of my life. Um, and so I'm like, why do I waste my time? But I thought, you know, I'm going to try it. So uh, a couple nights ago, I tried this movie by a friend who will remain a name because I absolutely hated the movie and I'm trying to not, um, yeah. Anyway, so I'm watching this movie and it's got this bad guy in it, which is like a lot of bad guys in movies. He's basically kind of unstoppable. He's, he doesn't really get thrown off his game much. He always stays two steps ahead. He's always in control. It's kind of more of a myth more than reality. And we know these powerful guys that are portrayed in many different types of movies. Like nobody can phase him at all. He was kind of violent and cold. He was always one step ahead. Um, Nobody could get to him. He always got away. And we even know good guys like that, right? Like superheroes where they can um, come in and save the day. And you know, they're always going to come through, right? They seem unstoppable. Just these powerful people and creatures. And we're drawn To that. Um, Our ideas of power when we're watching these movies or reading these stories typically has to do with this might and this strength. Now, if we're honest though, in real life, right, if we set movies aside, people don't often steward power that well, right? And we see the bad guys in movies who don't steward power well, but the good guys, we assume they will steward power well. But most power, if if we're honest, a lot of it in real life is used to serve one's own interest or build one's own kingdom or serves, serve oneself. Today in our text, we're going to see about Jesus who holds all power and all authority from the Father. And instead of using that power to serve himself, he uses his power to serve others, even the very one who will soon betray him. As you heard read right a moment ago, we're hopping back into our series through the gospel of John. Uh, today, we're going to start in chapter 13, and we're going to go all the way through verse 17 of that chapter. Now, I'm excited about moving into the second half of John's gospel. Uh, up to this point, we've kind of got a flyover view of Jesus's ministry as he's interacting with a broad group of people. But now we're going to get to kind of zoom in and get a glimpse at him interacting with his close disciples and his, uh, this circle, the kind of inner circle that Jesus has that he's intimate with the next four or five chapters make up this, this discourse all taking place in this around this mill this one evening. And so John is slowing us down in his gospel. Now, uh, we get this context from verse one, as you just heard read. Uh, it was around the time of the Passover festival, and we're, uh, most likely the day before Jesus is going to be crucified. Uh, we're told in verse one as well that Jesus knew that this was his hour, so to speak. This was the hour. Um, we'd heard times before where it wasn't his hour, but now the hour to depart out of this world, which meant the cross for him. And to return back to his father, this hour is now here. And we're told that, uh, we're reminded that in this moment, he loved his own, especially those that he was most intimate with his disciples. And he loved his own all the way to the end, to the uttermost, all the way to death. The The first verse of our text serves to kind of introduce this whole discourse that Jesus is about to have with his disciples, but it also serves to introduce the story that we're talking about today when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It gives us the broader context for this meal. So to set the immediate context a little further, what our author does is he tells us a couple details to set the scene. He tells us that Judas had made up his mind that he was going to betray Judas. So our author, which is John the Evangelist, he's one of the disciples, he would have been in this room, He wants us to know as well that Judas is in this narrative. He's in this story. That's important. Um, Not only that, but Jesus knows what Judas is going to do. He's not immune to it. The next thing we're told, uh, look at uh, verse 3 of John 13. It says that Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So we're told here that Jesus knew so this, he's very aware that the father um, had given everything into his hands. Now, we don't know exactly how the divinity and humanity of God worked. Meaning, um, how did Jesus and his humanity, like, did he fully understand the timeline of the cross and the passion narrative? We don't fully know. And I don't think that's the point. What our author is doing here, he wants us to know that Jesus is very well aware that he's been given Authority from the Father. He knows that he is divine, that he's come from God, and that he's going back to God. He's powerful, he's in control, he has strength, he has might. So, so taking all these factors in and given the context, Judas is going to betray Jesus. Jesus knows that. Jesus has all authority and power. You would think the next thing we would read is that Jesus utterly exposes and humiliates Judas that he puts it into the betrayal. He stops this betrayal before it could happen. Maybe he would walk into the, the middle of the temple courts and, and expose a call down lightning on the religious leaders who are planning his execution in just a few short hours. Maybe oppose the Roman rulers who would authorize putting him on a cross. But in the next verse, we read that Jesus does something drastically different and utterly scandalous. We read that he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. Jesus gets up and uses all of the authority and power in the world to gently wash the feet of his disciples including the very one who would soon betray him there's not really a way to describe how shocking this would have been for the disciples of Jesus i, I was trying to think of something we could use to describe i don't really know like this was a task that was reserved for the lowest of the low the servants and, and not even the jewish servants they would reserve it for the the new gentile servants be the foreign servants or the slaves who would do this dirty disgusting task. Like if you think feet are disgusting in our culture, which I think they are, uh, just feet in general, but imagine walking around in dirt filled paths that are also have feces on them because animals are using these same paths in sandals all day. These are the feet of the disciples here. Peter's reaction in verse eight kind of gives us a clue into this. He says, "No, you will never wash my feet, Jesus. Not, not happening. Not. You're a leader. You're a Messiah. You cannot wash my feet. You know, lead a revolution. Sure, like go for it. Overthrow the Romans. Sure, I'm with you to death. Lead an insurrection with power and might. Like call down angels from heaven. Sure, I've got your back. But wash my feet. Never. Not going to happen. It's embarrassing." And this wasn't just a, a symbol either. Um, this was something that Jesus did, but it pointed to something greater. I mean, even in our day, religious leaders sometimes will publicly wash feet. I mean, this was very private and intimate. This was just a snapshot into the, the humility that Jesus walked with, even though he carried great power. He wasn't doing this for the show, right? Right. He was doing it as both an example and a point to something that was even more shocking and disgusting. In verse eight, uh, in response to Peter saying, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus says, hey, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. You don't get a part into what I'm doing. Now, Peter, he's, he's the guy, he's like an all or nothing type character. So he goes from, hey, you'll never wash my feet to sure, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands and my head, like wash my whole body, bathe me completely, right? And in verse 10, Jesus says, hey, the one who's bathed, who's washed, made clean by me doesn't need to wash. He's already completely clean. And he does say, except for his feet. Um, we'll get to that in a moment. But the main point here is clear. This is not just about a simple foot washing. Jesus is pointing to something greater. A greater service that doesn't just cleanse our feet, but everything about us makes us completely clean. As he says in verse 10, Jesus is saying that we are saved by service. We are saved by Jesus serving us. That we understand that we are filthy and in need of a cleansing. And if we refuse to allow the son of God to serve us, then we will have no part in his saving work. See, this service of foot washing is pointing forward to something much more scandalous. When Jesus would die on the cross reserved for a thief for the sins of Of the world. This is what Jesus came to do, not to be served, but to serve. Mark 10, um, a story that's similar to this. Jesus tells his disciples that whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many the greatest service Jesus does, the greatest love and compassion that he has that caused him to love to the very end, even to death. It wasn't just a symbol of washing feet. It was a real, vivid, scandalous death on a Roman cross. This is what Paul talks about in his letter to the Philippian church when he, he says that Jesus existed in the form of God, but he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself By assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Jesus is saving us by his service to us. This foot washing is is a symbol pointing forward to the real scandalous act when the one who held all power, who was equal with God. He did not exploit it, but rather he emptied himself of it and revealed the character of God to us by becoming a servant. This doesn't mean he emptied himself of his divinity. Rather, he emptied himself for the rights and privileges that were associated with his sonship. And instead, he took on the form of a slave and went all the way to death on a cross. And it was his death and his shed blood that cleanses us from all of our sin and makes us completely clean it. It saves us from all the times when we've grasped and clamored for power and control and we've used it to hurt people and to bring about our own selfish kingdoms instead of his And it's also good news because it's the same cross that defeated darkness and put an end to the abuse of power once and for all. For all of us who've been the recipients of abuse of power. Jesus is enough for us to redeem our story and to put us back together again. And he doesn't stay dead because that's what Philippians said. Like he's raised from that and he's granted authority and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He actually does have power over death, hell and the grave. He's given a name above all names. He defeats the grave and we are saved by his service to us. And I, I love that we're not only saved from past sin, but he's also promised to keep us and preserve us. I, I think that's what he's getting at at verse 10. Jesus says, one who has bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. Now, this verse is a little clunky. Um, uh, people dif- disagree on the translation here, how it should come across. Um, I'm not going to go into all that, but I think what Jesus is doing he's using the illustration to make a point. If someone were to take an entire bath, they wouldn't need to keep rebathing uh, that often in this culture, but their feet would need to be washed quite often because they're going out and they're engaging in the world and they're walking on the streets and doing what they need to do. So their feet would get dirty. So it would stay generally clean except for their feet. And for us as followers of Jesus, once we are washed in the blood of Jesus and we're made clean, there is a sense in which we are completely justified. We are made righteous. We are in right standing with God. But as we engage in the mess of the world, there is this ongoing sanctification that must take place. As we go into dark places to serve others, we will make mistakes. We will stumble and fall. Our feet will get dirty, so to speak. But you can be sure that the work of Jesus is not only enough to justify us and just kind of make us in right standing with God. It is also enough to sanctify us and to save us from the the power of sin here and now. Like we can actually be made clean. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. As first John tells us later, the same author in another letter to the church. When we sin, we have an advocate with the father. Jesus will keep us through the mess of life because we are not just saved by the service of Jesus. We're also saved to the service of Jesus. So when we're made clean and we're we're bathed and made righteous by the blood of Christ alone, by his work alone, we're not called to just hunker down and hang on to the end so we don't get that messy. Look at what Jesus says in, in verses 12 to 17. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. See, Jesus not only saves us, he sends us. What Jesus does in the gospel as he serves us, yes, it saves us, but it also serves as an example. We are saved by his service to serve others. As we are made clean by Christ, as we are granted all authority and power through the Holy Spirit, as we are promised the presence of Christ, we're not to take that and misuse it or abuse it. Rather, it humbles us and we use that power to radically serve others in the upside down way of the kingdom, the same way that Christ has served us. When Paul talked about Jesus emptying himself and laying aside his own interest for others, he was saying, hey, have this same mind in you, the same mindset. We're formed into Christ's likeness as we dwell on what he's done for us. We then radically do that for others. And, And it can sound so simple, but if we're honest to like put others in front of us, truly, like our heart wants to do that. It takes a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. We need him at work in us. See, so Christians are not called, no matter what we see in the news or in our country or in other countries, we're not called to clamor and fight for power and control, political or otherwise. We're not called to wage wars and fight for our rights and die on the hill of our own personal liberties. Like, And the reason we go after those things, they are a poor substitute for the belonging that we crave and the identity of belonging that we're after. And when we recognize that we have that in Christ, we don't need those things. When we remind ourselves of the gospel, we don't need earthly power and control. When we look at the way that Jesus washed the feet, the dirty, disgusting feet of his disciples. When we look at Jesus naked on a cross, spit on, mocked, made ashamed for us sinners who deserved it not. We recognize that we have everything we need in Christ. That we not only follow him into death, we also follow him into resurrection life and we're given honor and dignity in the gospel. So we no longer have to look for it in things of this age. And it frees us to take the lowest seat, to lose the argument, to not win the war. That sinks into our souls. We're free to serve Can simply get up, wash the feet of others, even those that hate us. And this is what will change the world. If you want to see Christ likeness, don't go look on stages and in arenas, in castles and presidential suites. Don't go looking among the rich and the wealthy. If you want to see what will change the world, go to the nurseries, go to the projects, go to the nursing homes, look in the ghetto, look in the prisons, and see who's serving there. And that's where true greatness is. That's where the hands and feet of Jesus are shown. And I'm thankful to be a part Of a body that does this. It's not bad to be in politics. It's not bad to be rich and wealthy. The question is, what do we do with that? Do we hoard it? Do we hang on to it? Do we hang on to any power and control? Right? Or do we use it to flow through us to the ends of the earth? To those who need it most. That's the mark of a Christian. I mean, it's Jesus' plain message that we serve others. And many of you serve like this, like it inspires me to be a part of a church family. I mean, you guys gave so much to Global Missions, which is amazing, right? And it's not just about resource, like it's about time and money and a posture of humility. Like I love watching Kevin Perry on, on Sundays as he moves trash cans to make sure that we have a legal clear exit out the back. But like, none of you see that. I love watching uh, uh, Josh Delgado and Christy McCarty um, as they they clean toilets and and refill paper you know towels and sweep floors so the the building the garden will be clean when we gather there on Sundays. Like that is where we see true service. When, when many of you serve in new eating kids and you're you're wiping diapers and you're teaching wild unruly kids about the love of Jesus and what He does for them. When Stephanie and Lydia Carpenter and, and Hannah Smith were down in the, the, the basement of the garden when we first got it cleaning up cobwebs to to make it a little easier on our plumbers and electricians to work down there. Even though they're scared, I didn't know. Like I was like, Hey y'all wanna go do something? What do y'all wanna do? It was an easy thing to go do and they were like, Oh yeah, we'd love to and later I found out, you know, hating basements, but whatever. Like they're willing to serve and it's beautiful helping each other move, taking in roommates, giving each other rides, taking meals to new moms and sick families, and like, I could go on and on and on, but that is greatness. That's my hope for us. That we'd be a people who are so aware of what Christ has done for us and how he has served us. He has given us all riches and lavished all our power and authority through the Holy Spirit into our lives as he's given us himself that we can then freely give to the world around us. That's how people are gonna know we're really the disciples of Jesus as they see that scandalous, radical type of love that leads to service. Not by rallying to win the next election or by being a bigger influence on our Instagram or by putting people in their place, but by simply in humility, loving each other and serving each other in the same way that Christ has served us in the gospel. That is true. Greatness.